The World of Dark Ages podcast presents Side Quests, tidbits and inspiration for the Dark Ages. Greetings, dear listener, and welcome to Side Quests. My name is Jacob, and for the first time, I'm flying solo on one of these. Peter is stuck in medieval Visby, and after that, he's been Shanghai to work on an Indiaman, so he is outside of Wi-Fi reach for the foreseeable future. We have a new patron on Patreon, so thank you very much, Anon Ibid. Also, for those of you who do not visit the Facebook page, I've put up some pictures I took at a Danish museum, which had an exhibit concerning the Vikings in the East, the so-called Rus. The main inspiration for this side quest comes from comments made some years ago by right-wing author and complete idiot Andrew Claven in regards to the TV show The Witcher and Women with Swords, where he states, among other completely stupid things, that women were completely outclassed when fighting against men and women cannot swing five to ten pound swords around. Now, this complete moron is right in one thing, though, for the wrong reason. Women can't just swing five to ten pound swords around because almost nobody can swing five to ten pound swords around. That's why, historically, swords didn't weigh that much. Only the biggest German Zweihanders ever broke five pounds, with the heaviest going to around seven pounds. And these were not for swinging around. They were designed to attack pike blocks, sweeping aside, breaking, or even chopping through pike shafts. Of course, countless people with actual knowledge of sword fighting quickly tore down Clavin's mindless remarks, but from time to time the, his- the discussion of women as warriors in real-world history comes up, and since this is a podcast about a game set in our history, more or less, I thought I'd add some information. I'm going to touch on three areas, the physical aspect, the social and religious aspect, and then finally look at the various quote-unquote supernatural races and also on some historical examples. I will focus mainly on the Dark Ages setting, so the years 1197 to 1242 and Christian Europe. So when it comes to the physical aspect, it is quite true, as many people usually point out, that the average man is stronger than the average woman. And if that average man increases his strength by X amount and that average woman does the same, the man is still stronger. However, this does not disqualify women from being warriors in a time of purely muscle-powered weapons, and it usually isn't as big an advantage as a lot of people make it out to be. When it comes to being a warrior at this time, strength powers weapons and it lets you wear armor. But very few weapons of this time are really all that heavy, and even then, a woman who trains with a heavy weapon, like a two-handed axe, will soon develop the strength needed to wield it. There is nothing here that disqualifies a woman unless she is exceptionally weak and cannot build up enough muscle, and that would be as true of any man who was that weak. And the most uh, common weapons, like swords, spears, maces and one-handed axes do not require much above average strength, if any, to use effectively. As for armor, only metal armor is really all that heavy and it's not super common. Those who wear it are people who can afford it and they don't just put it on one day and go fighting. So if a woman received the same level of training as a man in wearing metal armor, she would, like a man, develop the strength needed to wear it. Interestingly, a fully armed and armored footman of this time, so mail, great helm, coat of plates, gauntlets, demigreaves, main weapon, sidearm, and kite shield, carries less weight than your average infantryman soldier of today. So, when it comes to using and carrying weapons and armor, women are not really at a disadvantage. But what about using weapons? 
Well, interestingly, there are relatively few times in pre-modern history when strength is the be-all and end-all of how effective your weapon was. Usually, weapons are either so effective that if you're strong enough to use them, you're strong enough to incapacitate your opponent, or armor has become so effective that most weapons aren't going to do much with brute strength and skill is required. In the time of Dark Ages, it is mostly the latter, though axes and especially maces still rely on strength to get through mail. So in a battlefield situation, men being stronger than women on average is a small advantage in some situation. However, in civilian, so to speak, situations where there is no armor or at most heavy clothing, strength doesn't matter because weapons are so good at acting as force multipliers. As long as the blow hits the right place and you are strong enough to properly wield your weapon, you're going to do a lot of damage. In fact, here a lot of strength can be a detriment because if you put too much strength into a blow and miss, you're going to overbalance yourself, and if you hit, your weapon could get stuck in your opponent. So, at the time when Dark Ages is set, men being on average stronger than women is only a small disadvantage to women except when it comes to one specific weapon, and that's the so-called English longbow, which at this point is being introduced to the English by the Welsh. While women can train to use it, men can simply draw heavier bows, but as mentioned, this weapon is limited to one place. However, one advantage that men have that is often a bigger advantage than strength is reach. The average man has longer reach than the average woman, and reach is a lot more important than most people realize and more important than most gaming systems can really model in their rules. Given the same size weapons, having the greater reach gives an advantage. This is mostly applicable in duels and other one-on-one -on -one fights and not in massed ranks on the battlefield or when you have full armor and a shield. The last advantage that men have is greater mass. It is quite clear that if two people are having a duel or other one-on-one -on -one fight, and especially if they're wearing armor, the fight often ends up with grappling, usually on the ground, and here physical weight comes into play. So do women have any advantages? Yes, but they're harder to quantify than the advantages that men have. One thing is that studies seem to show that women on average have a higher pain tolerance than men. This would allow them to concentrate better after being hit with a weapon if the blow isn't immediately incapacitating. The second is endurance. Women being smaller will have to use less oxygen to power their muscles, and their armor should also be smaller and thus weigh less, but obviously they have less average strength to carry it. I don't know if those two things balance out, but definitely women use less oxygen to power their muscle than men. Finally, there is reaction time. As women are smaller, they not only have less mass to move, but nerve impulses have less way to travel, but this is really a minute advantage. So, what does all of this add up to? Well, there's nothing physical that would disqualify a woman from being a warrior at this time, at least nothing that would not also disqualify a man. Women can easily train to be able to use the weapons and carry the armor of the time, and when it comes to advantages versus disadvantages, they're not severely outclassed or anything. And one has to remember that men who were also below average in height, strength, reach, body mass, etc., did become soldiers and even knights. So any mention of women being too weak to properly use the weapons and wear the armor of the time is wrong, and saying that they would just be completely outclassed by men is also wrong. No, the reason why women were not warriors in the time period covered by the Dark Ages was religious and social, and that's what I want to look at now.
So in the Dark Ages time frame, most of Europe is religiously Christian, and most of that area is also culturally Christian, though some areas still have various levels of their previous pagan culture. And speaking of culture, Europe in the High Middle Ages is the result of thousands of years of male-dominated, even misogynistic culture. Even cultures that saw a reduction in the right of women after being Christianized, such as, say, the Norse, were still male-dominated. And combining the male-dominated culture of the Roman Empire with Christianity saw the evolution of a generalized male-dominated culture that eventually spread all across Europe. One interesting thing is that Christianity, when you look at it, is a pacifist religion, which was at odd with the culture that it spread into, which was very much a warrior-dominated culture. In this case, the prevalent culture one and Christianity became subservient to the warrior ethos, though not always happily so. Anyway, these two things, the misogynistic religion and male-dominated warrior culture, resulted in a place where it was almost unthinkable for women to become warriors, though as we'll see, not always unthinkable for women to learn how to fight or even join a battle at times. So, could women be warriors in the Dark Ages time frame? Well, the general answer is no, but let's take a look at the different types of warriors. At the top are knights, and women most definitely could not be knights, especially because part of the knighting process was supposed to be religious. So even if a woman disguised herself as a man, the knighting ritual itself would be considered null and void, much like if a woman managed to disguise herself as a man and be ordained as a priest. Also, no father would ever let his daughter be trained as a knight. Anyone who did so would be seen as insane and a heretic. There are no historical sources of any woman becoming a fighting knight. Interestingly, we do have a medieval female knight in Renaissance fiction. Lady Bradamante is a female knight who serves the Emperor Charlemagne and appears in no less than two epic poems that are part of the Roland cycle. She is described as an expert warrior and carries a magical lance that unhorses anyone it touches. Bradamante is specifically noted to fight against the Saracens during the invasion of France. Now, this is fiction written in the Renaissance, but it's still an interesting note. Going down from knights, we have professional soldiers, men-at-arms and sergeants working as mercenaries, household troops, retinues and soldiers for knightly orders. Here, women face problems of a social nature rather than religious, except of course in the case of soldiers for the religious orders who obviously add a religious aspect. The big issue here are the general idea that women should not dress or act as men, the pervasive idea that women cannot fight, at least not at anywhere near the level of men, that women should uh, should not be fighting, and the very practical problem that it's highly unlikely for a woman uh, to have the background and training needed to become a professional soldier for all the aforementioned reasons. A woman might disguise herself as a man and possibly even gain employment as a mercenary or soldier, but as soon as she is found out, she would at the very least be expelled. Even an amoral mercenary band would fear that if word got around that they employed a woman as a warrior, they'd never get hired. We end with levy troops, peasants raised by their lord to fight. In some places during the span of the Middle Ages, there were actually rules that peasants needed to practice the use of simple weapons so that they were not completely useless on the field of battle. And while it was men who were supposed to train, it would not be completely unthinkable for a woman to join said training. Unusual, gossip-worthy, perhaps even frowned upon, but it might happen. Man said woman could then disguise herself, perhaps taking the place of a husband, brother or father. This could give a woman battlefield experience, which is a lot more valuable than mere training. If found out, their comrades might even hide and protect them, though it's most likely that if any high ops found out, the woman would at the very least be sent home. Now, 
This only covers battlefield warriors, but what about those who use weapons but are not soldiers? Well, here things are quite different. Let's start with bandits, whether they be the type to waylay travelers on the road, pirates on the open sea, or pirates on the rivers. Now, most bandits would prefer not to fight, but rather merely threaten with weapons and overwhelming force. This is not Robin Hood and his merry band, who are expert archers and skilled with quarterstaves. But, you know, from time to time, there would still be fighting. While such bands are probably going to be resistant to a woman taking an active role, it's nice to have more numbers, so an especially determined and ruthless woman could become an active member of a robber or pirate gang and gain some experience here. Another option is hunting. Among the nobility, hunting was the favorite pastime, and women weren't banned from participating. Now, generally, it was believed that women should stick to flying a hawk, shooting a crossbow, and maybe joining in a chase now and then, but if a young noblewoman wanted to spear a hart or a boar, well, you'll likely only hear complaints from the clergy. Sure, her father might be seen as being a bit permissive or her husband considered too indulgent, but still, it's not going to be a huge scandal. So this is a great way for a noblewoman to have experience in riding, crossbow, spear, and possibly a dagger. Obviously, nobles were not the only ones who hunted, and while professional foresters in the employ of nobles would have been males, poachers could be women, and a peasant woman might know how to use a sling if her village had hunting privileges in the local woods for things like fowl or rabbits. Finally, we come to civilian martial arts. I have mentioned the I-33 manuscript before, but let me just recap. I-33 is the oldest known European fencing manual, and it covers arming sword and buckler, what's also sometimes called sword and buckler play, with no armor, a decidedly civilian combination. The book was most likely published around the year 1300, probably in Nuremberg or that area, though published around 1300, it's obviously not going to be covering the latest thing just invented. It will be covering something that has become popular enough that you want to write a book about it. Now, in addition to showing that, at least in the cities, people were practicing civilian martial arts, the illustrations also show something interesting. Most of the illustrations have a student sparring against an opponent that the text identifies as the priest, though he has the tonsure of a monk. But some of the pictures shows the priest sparring against a woman. We know that it's a woman because she's wearing women's dress, is referred to as feminine in the text, and is given the name Valpurgis, a woman's name. There is absolutely no indication in the text that this is a kind of special case. And from what we can see, you know, at least in the large German cities, women could practice civilian martial arts, whether it be for fun and exercise, for self-defense, or even that they were expected to help defend a free city in the case of attack. And what's great about this is that arming sword and buckler is one of the best combinations for a civilian rather than for battlefield use. So if you want a woman warrior in the Middle Ages, probably the best way to go about it is to have a burger lady who trains sword and buckler. Of course, this is the world of darkness, so let's take a look at the various quote-unquote races and their approach to women warriors. We start with Inquisitor and seeing how the Inquisition is the agents of Christianity and the keepers of the status quo, they will be following the social mores. 
And the closest you will get here is a Murnau lady who is a great huntress or maybe a member of the Okulidae who knows how to handle a dagger in a desperate back alley fight. Mages differ from tradition to tradition, and a lot of them probably don't value physical combat prowess all that high. I mean, look at the Order of Hermes. Any training of weapon skills is going to take away from precious time studying. The Valdermen, obviously, are the ones most associated with combat skills, and given the evidence we have, they would be okay with women learning to be warriors, though obviously the culture they represent is long gone. For vampires, gender roles usually go out the window pretty shortly after the embrace. Women will have been raised in mortal society before their embrace, with all the limitations that entail. But after the embrace, there's nothing stopping a woman from becoming a warrior, or even joining a canine knightly order. Also, given the immortal nature of vampires, you could have a canine from a culture and a time where women were trained as warriors. For the Fae, gender is often an aesthetic choice more than anything else, and if someone who's chosen to be a woman wants to be a warrior, be it a knight or anything else, well, that's not a problem. And finally, the Garou, the warriors of Gaia. Obviously, everyone needs to know at least a little something about fighting, men or women. Now, when warrior women in medieval history is mentioned, some names usually pop into people's head, most notably Boudica Bodicea, I'm never sure how that's supposed to be pronounced, and Joan of Arc, with possibly Eleanor of Aquitaine being added. So let's take a look at some historical women. Boudica is actually from the first century AD, so it's not really the Middle Ages, but she is such a famous example that taking a look at her is still warranted. Now, sources of the time are relatively scarce, but there is evidence that Boudicca actually fought physically, not just led, and that Celtic women of the time might have been trained as warriors. Also, since we are in ancient times and looking at something to do with Romans, female gladiators did exist, exist in ancient Rome. Modern-day scholars refer to them as, as a gladiatrix. They may have been uncommon, but evidence suggests that a number of women participated in the public games of Rome, even though this practice was often criticized by Roman writers and attempts were made to regulate it through legis legislation. So if you want a rather old vampire, you can have one that was a so-called gladiatrix. Joan of Arc is also somewhat outside the scope of this, though not as much as Boudicca being from the 15th century. Unlike Boudicca, there's no evidence that she fought. In fact, as a peasant girl, she would not have had any weapon training, and all accounts have her be an inspiration and a leader, not an actual fighter. As for Eleanor of Aquitaine, she is one of my favorite women of history. She actually went on crusade, though not as a warrior, but as a leader. There is a story that she and her ladies-in-waiting dressed as Amazons from Greek legend and either fought or at least trained to fight the enemy. However, this story is most likely a legend, though given the obsession that the courts and learned people of Europe had with Rome and Greece at the time, and obviously later, it could be true in the world of darkness, and it gives us a group of battle-trained and even battle-experienced women. As much furor as it would cause, Eleanor was immensely powerful, wealthy, intelligent, shrewd, and headstrong. And if anyone could overrule tradition in the church and have a cadre of female warriors, it would be her. As for all other stories, we have the Order of the Hatchet, which we mentioned in the episode on the Ashen Nightbook. Supposedly, this was a female honorific order founded in 1149, bestowed upon the women of the town of Tortosa in Catalonia. After the women fought off 
a Muslim attack using axes, among other things. However, there is no contemporary evidence to suggest it existed, and even if it did, it was not a military order, but an honorific one, exempting the members from taxes. It would also not have admitted new members. Margaret of Beverly was an English woman who had been conceived in England but born in Jerusalem when her parents were on pilgrimage. When she became an adult, she went on pilgrimage too, and she was in Jerusalem in 1187 when Saladin attacked the city. According to her brother, who had become a monk in a French monastery, Margaret joined the defenders of the city and, by her own words, tried to fight like a man and, though terrified, did her best not to show it. This is interesting, and this shows that in desperate times, cultural con conventions go out the window and women are allowed to fight alongside men. While Beverly did not continue training any fighting skills, she would have gained some experience. This would be a great way to have a woman with some fighting skill. You know, she was present when a city was attacked and fought alongside the male defenders. You could even have a character that tries to keep up their fighting skills should this happen. Sikel Gaita, don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, was a Lombard princess that lived in the second half of the 11th century. She joined her husband, Duke Robert Giscard of Apulia, on the battlefield on several occasions, leading troops and even supposedly at one point wearing armor, whether this was just to keep her safe or whether she actually joined in the fighting is unknown. According to one chronicler, Petronilla de Grandmesnil, Countess of Leicester, joined her husband Robert de Beaumont in the 1173-1174 rebellion of Henry the Young King against King Henry II, his father. During the final showdown, she is said to have fled from the battle only to be found in a ditch. She was noted as wearing a male hauberk with a sword and a shield when captured. According to some stories, Matilda of Tuscany, one of the most powerful nobles in Italy in the second half of the 11th century, was trained from a young age in military matters and even rode into battle. There is more evidence against than for this, though she was certainly trained in riding and most likely also defensive strategy and tactics so that she could take control of castle defenses if no male members of her family were home. And finally, because I am Scandinavian, I will touch on warrior women among the Vikings, even though that's a little before the Dark Ages setting. While there's still no clear evidence that shield maidens were real rather than a fanciful idea in the various sagas and other stories, recent archaeology has shown that Norse culture did have women not only fighting, but also being buried as warriors with a warrior's kit. It seems that while it was not as common as among men, some women did learn how to fight in Norse culture and did go to war. Other pagan cultures may or may not have had the same practices. For example, there's at least one Koronian grave from the time of the Vikings that is a woman being buried with a warrior's panoply. The Koronians were a Baltic tribe living in what is now the western parts of Latvia and Lithuania. So, in the end, women were limited when it came to being warriors in the Middle Ages. Though, as has been shown, there are some examples of exceptional people, and when it comes to player characters, they tend to be these exceptional people, so it's not as limited as it could be. And the limitation was social and religious, not physical, and primarily extended to women being professional soldiers, with options for learning weapon skills in a civilian setting. Now, some people might say that since we have vampires and werewolves and other supernatural stuff, this isn't really our Middle Ages, and so you could just have women warriors. However, the world of darkness has always been described as our world plus the supernatural and then darker. And having 
women be warriors on par with men in Christian Europe during the Middle Ages isn't a change on the level of, say, having a building in Washington, D.C. be taller than the Washington Monument. This is a change on the level of having the U.S. be a functioning multiple-party system with gun control and European-style government health care. Now, I'm not saying that allowing women to be warriors is in any way wrong, just that if you do so, you're moving away from a version of our world with the supernatural and more into historically inspired fantasy, which is cool, but I prefer my games to be as close to real history as I can get them and for any changes to have the ramifications that those changes would have on society. Of course, that's easy for me to say as a man. I cannot think of anything in the Middle Ages that a woman could be that a man could not either be or be something similar. Only women could be nuns, but men could be monks. Only women could be ladies in waiting for noble women, but men could be close servants to noblemen. As a white heterosexual man, the only problem I would face in translating myself to the Middle Ages is the fact that I am an atheist, and since I've never felt any discrimination during my life for being an atheist, it's not problematic for me to see it discriminated against in-game. It's a complicated and sometimes even controversial topic, but I hope I have presented it in an acceptable fashion. Anyway, I hope you found this an interesting look at the idea of women warriors in the time frame of Dark Ages and a little beyond. I will be back with at least one more side quest before Peter returns. Remember that we have a Patreon page and we are on Facebook if you want to ask questions or comment. So until then, it is goodbye from me. Farewell and see you next time.